With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to episode 188 of Cowboys Drive for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, as always, joined by Philip Slavin. How's it going, man? JP, I'm pretty good. Uh, Wednesday night, it's been raining all, all day, and I, I would like to complain about it, but considering most people in Oklahoma, half of the state of Oklahoma is like still covered in ice and we're without power and all other storms of nastiness, I'll just keep my mouth shut and just say, yay, rain. And we, we've been very fortunate, at least where Maddie and I live on the, the north side of Stillwater, that we've been able to keep power the whole time. Other parts of the city are not unfortunate or not as fortunate. Uh, my our thoughts are with those that are, you know, without power still, or, you know, have tree line, you know, trees down, power lines down, uh, it, you know, getting a freeze this early on is something that we really weren't expecting. So it's, it's kind of tough to, to prepare for, but it seems we're kind of getting on the other side of it now. It's supposed to rain tomorrow, but we're getting up in the fifties and sixties. Good weekend, good Saturday for football in Boone Pickens stadium against Texas on Saturday. Uh, I'm glad the weather's going to, going to turn at least a little bit for the better for Saturday. It's going to be a good day, like mid sixties, good three o'clock start. Take it. Mm-hmm. 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 Football? Let's talk some football. So we're going to break up this episode into two parts. So the first is going to be your guys' questions. Uh, yesterday, I sent out a tweet recording on Wednesday. On Tuesday, I sent out a tweet that I was going to go back and rewatch uh, the Iowa State game and break down a couple things on film as best I can. I'm not as good as, over the, as the guys over at TDL, but I was going to at least do my best to give you guys something. And then we sent out a tweet for mailbag. We got a few questions there too. So we're going to, we're going to answer those for you guys. And then we'll get into our Texas preview after the break there in the middle. Uh, So let's go to the film review first and we'll see if I uh, talk out of my ass too much or if I actually know what I'm talking about. So first question uh, was from Evan McDaniel, Evan ETM. Uh, He was asking about the temp seeing the tempo on offense uh, from Oklahoma state. Uh, This seems like they were quicker than the previous three games. I think a lot of that has to do with having Spencer Sanders back. They were able to run a little bit more of the offense. They were able to open it up a little bit more and go a little faster pace. And then where was Shane Illingworth? That's uh, that's about my best guess there. Uh, but it was nice to see the offense go a little, go turbo a little bit. And they were able to keep Iowa State off balance. And even though Oklahoma State's offense was good at times uh, and not, not necessarily consistent, we see little bits and pieces of the offense starting to gel a little bit together. And I think – if they're able to run turbo a little bit more often, it's going to pay off for the, the offense there in the end. If you wanted to comment. Oh, is it my turn to respond? Yeah, Sorry. If you, if Sorry. you want to say something, you are more than welcome. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I got distracted. Um, uh, we've been following some, you know, Texas. I've been following some Texas rumors tonight, recruiting wise. And so I, something's going on. So I'm, I'm sorry. Um, Quinn Ewers just decommitted from Texas. Ah, okay. interesting. So, yeah, that's fun for Tom Herman. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, 
I swear I'm I'm focused. It's been it's man, when you when you get to Wednesday and it's already been a long week, it's yeah. Uh, let's we'll just go to the next one. Uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. All right. So <laughs> I'll ask, I'll, I will use the second part of this question then try and, okay. So uh, TB, Travis being a bunch of numbers, you know who you are if you listen to the podcast. Uh, he said, when you go through the film, uh, watch Spencer's eyes, how many times he locks in a receiver and stares him down the entire play. Also count how many completions he had to a second read. Uh, I think this is trying to prove some sort of confirmation bias because he doesn't like Spencer Sanders, but uh, more often than not, Spencer did, he threw his first read most of the time. Uh, I don't I didn't get a, a good number on it. I was trying to track as many plays as I could, but when you're trying to chart 79 plays while also working quite a bit and dealing with a one month old, you know, I did what I could, but the offense, the throwing, you know, the passing game, it was mostly quick game. And he was able to read pre-snap and go to his first read more often than not for a completion. Uh, saw it multiple times. Uh, and one of my favorite things that Oklahoma State was able to do, they gave, uh, they gave Iowa State a bunch of different looks, moving receivers and cowboy backs around. And multiple times they were able to go, they went quad to one side. So they had four receivers on one side of the formation and isolate Tylen Wallace on the other side for completions on third down. When you get Tylen Wallace in a one-on-one situation, there's not many other reads you need to make. Uh, he's going to win that matchup more often than not. And he did multiple times in that game. And other times, uh, I think I know there was a couple of Dylan Stoner over the middle where that was his primary read. And he made a great throw over the middle on a stick shot. I believe this was the second play of the game. Uh, but I, th- I think the, big, the biggest throw of the game was to Jelani Woods for the touchdown pass. And on that play, there, they had, it was a zone concept from Iowa State. And the safety that was going with uh, Jelani, initially after he free-released off the line, Spencer looked left. Jelani was lined up on the right side of the formation. And Spencer looked left to move that safety a little bit because he knew Jelani was going to be open over the middle of the field. Once that safety flipped his hips and started going the other way, he goes right back and throws a, a strike to Jelani Woods for the touchdown. It was just a little subtle movement, nothing, nothing crazy, but that's the kind of stuff that we need to see from Spencer Sanders. But, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't something I was thinking about today while I was at work, but quarterbacks will lock onto a receiver, whether they are a making their 12th or 13th start in college or their 15 year vets in the NFL. Uh, they're going to occasionally get, you know, a little complacent and they're going to just stare down a receiver and make a throw. We see it all the time. Aaron Rodgers did it a couple weeks ago against the Buccaneers for a pick six. Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the NFL. He does it too. Everybody, you know, guys, occasionally it'll happen. Um, I'm not, it doesn't concern me near as much. I saw enough good things from Spencer overall in that game coming back against a good Iowa state defense that the passing game is going to be just fine. I know people are, are concerned about what we're seeing right now, but at the end of the day, he made enough good throws in that game and made enough adjustments during that game uh, that show me he's starting to, it's starting to click a little bit because what Mike Gundy talks about it, I like guess what 15, 15 games or something like that, that it really takes to click at the college level. It's something like that. Right. Yeah, his, and, his and I think this is yeah. and this is going to be start thirteen, I believe, uh, against Texas on Saturday. So we're not even to that point yet. So I think. Well, people hold be, on. Are you counting Tulsa? Because I don't think we should count Tulsa because he. Okay, so it'll be, okay, twelve. Okay, well, well, that's yeah. fair. Okay, so we'll call that his twelve. It'll be his twelve start this weekend. So I understand people's frustration with the turnovers. I, I completely understand, but I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit and have a little bit of rationality. Understand that the offense is better with Spencer Sanders than it is with Shane Ellingworth. Shane Ellingworth is good and proved his worth early on, but the offense is that much better with Spencer Sanders. No, yeah. Look, 
it's more dynamic. You can open it up more. And part of it, the reason you can open it up more is because he has started, this will be, I mean, you can say it's start 13, start 12. Like he has yet to really play a full regular season as the starter. Like I, I, exactly. I think we kind of forget some of that because we're in, you know, since he started game one of last year, we're at game what? 17. So it's like yeah. 17 games, but he hasn't, he, he missed multiple games last season. He's, he missed games this season. So I, I, we're still in the growth period for him. Um, I do think, I, I know we kind of trashed him a bit on the recap and I, I was too hard on him and I'm sorry. He still is making mistakes and he's, he's going to, and that's fine. Um, but he's continuing to improve. And I, I think that's what's most important is they're also going to get to keep opening the offense up more and more for him. And you're going to be able to open the offense up more for Spencer at this point than you can Shane at this point. And I think that's what's, that's what's most important right now. Yes, and I want to talk about one more throw from Spencer. Uh, so we, we the first interception he threw, they got tipped by uh, by Ellsworth from Iowa State, tipped, picked off by Mike Rose. Uh, it was really at, good. Yeah, th- those are both – those are the two best players, and they made a play. Uh, it was a little bit unlucky, but this sequence I'm about to talk about will show some of the growth of Spencer Sanders from one, one drive to another. So he makes that throw. Um, the play – Basically, it was a design sprint out to the right with Wallace running like a comeback uh, route toward the sideline. You had Logan Carter, who was in line on the right side of the offensive line. He chipped the defensive end and then ran like a little flat route as a little dump off just in case. Uh, Mike Rose picked that up really well, so that that wasn't there. Uh, Dylan Stoner came across the formation in a deep over uh, behind the linebackers in front of the safeties. Uh, but that, even though it may have been open, Spencer would have had to throw across his body, which is just a dangerous idea. Wallace was open. It was a one-on-one matchup in his own coverage from Iowa State. And Spencer had the throw, but instead, because uh, Ellsworth, who made the tip, he came down as like an, almost like an underneath. Uh, so Wallace was kind of bracketed, but it was also an opportunity for Ellsworth to spy Sanders in case he decided to run. So a running lane was taken away too. And instead of putting a little bit of well, a little bit of loft on the ball, Spencer tried to throw through it. It got tipped and picked off. Later in the game, uh, that leaping catch that Tylen Wallace made, uh, that you know he looked like he jumped 15 feet in the air, right? That coverage concept from Iowa State was very similar. Ellsworth came down and was an underneath defender, and essentially had Wallace bracketed to where Spencer had to put loft on the ball to be able to get it to Wallace, where only he was going to get it in a one-on-one matchup with 26 once again. And that's what Spencer did. He was able to sit back in the pocket, and he made a great throw, threw it up where only Wallace was going to get it, and we got a first down in a, mirac- in a great highlight reel catch from Tylen Wallace. That shows that he knew what he was looking for the next time that coverage was going to be there, and he made the right throw. He made the right read and the right throw the first time. It was just a little bit unlucky, made a slight adjustment on the second time, and made the play. And so you can't ask for much more than that to be able to bounce back and have the confidence to still make that throw and get it to your playmakers and not panic and try and do the same thing over and over again or just throw it, you know, throw it away. So I think that shows a lot of what, you know, what we're starting to see from Spencer Sanders. He made the right play later on in the game. It's a learning curve, obviously, for anybody. And like I said, he hasn't gotten to that 15 start threshold that Gundy talks about. And it was his first game back against a good Iowa State defense that mixed up their coverages pretty well and were able to disguise a couple of things, but he recognized it and made the throw. Yeah, look, if if there's one thing we can say about Sanders at this point, the dude knows how to bounce back. 
The dude yes. does not let mistakes eat him alive. And I, I think that's an underrated aspect. I just, I don't think people give enough credit for that. Like I, I, I think it's hard to bounce back and whether you want to call it ego or confidence or laissez-faire attitude or whatever it might be because of that, <clears throat> like it's an important thing for quarterback to be able to do is to bounce back and, and come back out and be ready to make the next, play the next play. So I think it's a really, really good thing for him. That's not something you can, something you can coach real easy. Like some of that has to just kind of be who they are. So. Uh, as a last point for the film review, I had multiple questions uh, talking about the Cowboy backs, what Oklahoma State did with them, were they able to scheme them up differently, you know, what what caused some of those big plays. And I think a lot of it was they were used as receivers more than we've seen in the past. Uh, they were – we've seen them lined up in different spots. We've seen, we've seen them in that traditional Cowboy back spot next to the quarterback, you know, along with the running back as an extra blocker. They were in line multiple times. Saw 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends. Uh, we saw them on the offense, like next lined up next to the tackles a couple times. They were split out as wide receivers when Oklahoma State went turbo, uh, either in the slot or in a stack, you know, in a stack look where you got one wide receiver standing in front, the other one standing right behind them. Uh, so I think they were able to just mix up the look a little bit for the tight ends, and I think that made a lot of the difference. It was able to free uh, free them up a little bit more and make them make them at least give the look of a true receiving threat. I think Logan Carter had three catches. Jelani Woods had three, three or four catches in the touchdown. And so I, I think it just boils down to mixing up the looks a little bit more and not just keeping them in the backfield, kind of like what we saw with kind of the Mike Yersich cowboy back offense where it was occasionally let them, you know, be a surprise as, you know, running right down the middle of the field like we saw with Blake Jarwin, Jeremy Seaton. I think we're seeing them a little bit more as a receiving threat right now. I'd like to see that a little bit more, but it's one of those things that I don't think it needs to be an integral part of the offense. You have enough wide receivers with talent that you can spread the ball around to. And if you're able to sprinkle those guys in uh, every once in a while, then that's, you know, that's what you need to do. But I also think part of the reason why we're able to use them as receivers more is because we're starting to see the offensive line play a lot better you don't need that extra blocker in there like we did early on in the season. There's that offensive line was starting to gel and create enough holes for Chuba to run through and Spencer Sanders didn't get sacked. And I think he only got hurried one or two times in that game. So they were able to use, utilize them as wide receivers more because they didn't have to be the kind of the fullback type of what the Cowboy back, you know, the, the first part of that Cowboy back is. Yeah. Look, there's still an integral part of, of helping with blocking. Um, especially on when you get those third and shorts and they need to, to run for a few yards. Like it's a, it's a big deal. Um, but it, it is, I, you make a great point. The offensive line, you know, we, we've talked too much about how they're not playing well and how are they playing. And neither you or I really had a lot to say about them after this last game. So it was kind of like, I mean, I, I don't have anything to complain about. I think they played pretty I well. I think uh, um, being an offensive lineman is such a thankless job that if we don't mention them, it's, oh, pr- it's, it's like being yeah. a punter. Like if you don't talk about them, it's probably a good thing because that means they did their job, right? So, yeah, I mean, thank and I'm, I'm so glad I mean, they, have, they absolutely did. Yeah, they, and they played fantastic. And you talk, um, if you guys listen, go listen to tape doesn't lie. If you don't, uh, Adam Lund and Mitch Gift do a fantastic job breaking things down. I know I'm trying to get better about it. Listening to guys like that is giving me a resource to be able to learn and be able to get better about giving you guys a little more analysis than just being a talking head. So. But Adam Lund is the offensive line guru, and he breaks down missed blocks, missed assignments, all that from the offensive line. He only had seven total in this game, which is one of their best. Is their was their second best this year, uh, counting the Kansas game if you want to count it, uh, and their best in the last year, year almost a year and a half. So a patchwork group week one of the season is now playing really good football 
and are going to continue to get better should they stay healthy because they're starting to gel really well right now. I think you knew Tevin Jenkins is a stud. Yes. Um, I think right. And I, I don't want to, I'll be blunt. Ryan Schneider still seems to be about the weak link of, of this offensive line. Um, Josh Sills is as we hoped he would be. And it's a good thing. Hopefully he does stick around for next year as well. Cause he's going to be an eligibility outside of the whole, like everyone gets another year. I get it. And I think, you know, Hunter Anthony and, is, is coming along. So I think the line is continuing to develop. I think as much as, and as, as worried as I was about the Iowa state game because of the extra time off, I really, really wonder if that performance is in part because all that time that they took between the game against Kansas and the game against Iowa state, the offensive line got to do the kind of work it needed to get to this point. And if the offensive line for Oklahoma State, because I've heard a lot of people talk, um, I say nationally, outside of Big 12 or Oklahoma State-specific stuff about how if Oklahoma State had a top-notch offensive line, that's what they are away from being really, really good. Now, obviously, the offense still needs to get up to what we expect it to do uh, from a scoring standpoint. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. But if Oklahoma State has an offensive line, that can, and it so far has passed good tests against West Virginia and Iowa State, and there's not a whole lot of other, like, big tests in the Big 12, Texas to some degree because of Osai. Um, I think Oklahoma's defensive line is playing a lot better. Um, I, they, they really do have a shot to, to win the Big 12 because um, it, they're playing like one of the better offensive lines in the conference, and that's considering where they were after that Tulsa game, that's a huge statement to make. Oh, no doubt about it. I think I mentioned that on the recap. And I might mention in the preview as well that I think the offensive line was going to gel a little bit. As much as two weeks off playing sucks, it give a offensive line that was still working through some things an opportunity to continue to gel and get better, even if it wasn't playing other opponents. Just getting that continuity mattered a ton to a group that really needed it, and that paid off significantly in the Iowa State game. We saw an offensive line that looks like it's going to be able to be up to snuff to push Oklahoma State over the edge. And if they continue to keep Spencer Sanders upright, make enough holes for Chuba to make an, a few runs a game, it, it's going to be a huge difference for this team. The, Oklahoma State's offense is pretty close to a breakout, I think. I think we saw some really good things from them uh, at times on Saturday, and I don't think it's too much longer before it's not Oklahoma State's defense truly having to do everything they can just to get Oklahoma State through a game. I think the offense is getting really, really close. Yeah, well – We'll talk a little bit more about that a bit here in a bit. <clears throat> All right. So we got three mailbag questions here. Uh, we want to make this a little bit more of a regular part of our podcast because uh, this is for you guys. We would like to answer your questions as much as we possibly can. So we'll try and make this a little bit more of a regular thing, but we'll start with this. I love this question from uh, Brian J. Metcalf, a friend of the pod. Does Gundy and company get Texas to burn one or more timeouts uh, with the late defensive substitution play? I don't think there is anyone that is better in the country at utilizing that subtly late substitution whenever, whenever Texas or whoever they're playing substitutes on offense. Oklahoma State does a fantastic job of burning that clock and forcing a timeout or forcing a delay game penalty. I, I bet we see it at least once, right? I, your over-under should really <clears> – if <throat> Vegas was to set this line, it would be at two and a half. Like, let's be real. Because we've seen it happen multiple times in games already. I think they did it at least a couple times to West Virginia. Um, they did it. Was the one against Iowa State that last scoring drive they had? Where I they down the field and believe it was. And, like, and yeah, I think it was. Uh, they got the onside kick. 
Yeah, Cam- yeah, Cameron Murray was taking like a nice little Sunday stroll over by. Oh uh, yeah, he just was walking, yeah. and you know they're like, just take it, take it, take it easy. No hurry whatsoever. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant move. Brilliant it move. Is. I, I don't think there's um, anybody in the country that does that better without having if, to without if, faking injuries like we've seen some teams, West Virginia, uh, doing in years past. Um, yeah, it's it's actually it's very very subtle and very impressive. Uh, I, I would say. I would probably, if you give me the over under two and a half, I'd probably take the under because teams are getting better. They shouldn't be making those kinds of errors and teams should have figured out that that is something that Oklahoma state will do. If you give them the opportunity to do so, which put forces other teams to be on top of their game. When you face Oklahoma state, if they're going to do that, I mean, if you're going to allow them to, that's <laughs> it's on you. Yeah, uh, um, so I, I, I might, I might circle the like two, um, that Texas has not been the most disciplined of teams this season. Um, so it, it does kind of feel like something they might, they might do and Gundy's going to take advantage of it. So I, I would expect at least one. Um, and I'll say two, because I just, that's more of a commentary on Texas than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question. Once again, for Evan McDaniel, Evan ETN, uh, what's more important to beat Texas stopping Sam from running or slowing down their running backs? I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot to slow down their running backs. Yeah. Sam's their leading rusher. Um, I, I think it's – can – Ellinger at this point in the season is doing everything on its own, right? And so far, because after that, they are three and two with wins over UTEP, a ro- an overtime road win at Texas Tech, and a win over Baylor this past Saturday. I think your plan is continue to force Sam Ellinger to do everything. Uh, he's not – I don't think he can beat Oklahoma State on his own. Now, don't let him get out for a bunch of big runs, obviously. But I, I, think, I think you just you, – you shut down everything else and accept that, you know what, he's probably going to break a few runs on us. It's the same thing we do with Spencer Sanders to other teams. Um, that's going to happen. It's too hard to stop – um, mobile quarterbacks, and, and Ellinger knows how to. He's he's shifty enough. I know it's shifty. Oh, and I mean he's white. He is. Um, but I, I think you just you shut everything else down. I think that's what matters most. Don't don't because if you don't, if you give Ellinger and let his if you let his weapons work, if his wide receivers are playing well and his running backs are working, and he doesn't have to run the ball as often. He's going he's gonna to play exceptionally well. He's a good college quarterback. I, I understand if people don't like him. It's because every preseason he gets the Heisman buzz, and, uh, and so everyone's like, he's overrated, he sucks. No, he doesn't suck. He's a good college quarterback. It's literally the only reason Texas is 3-2 and two this season is because they have Sam, Sam Elliott. And I mean the three wins, not necessarily the two losses, okay? Yeah. Um, so I think it's a situation of make him do it all. I mean, that, because you're not going to stop him. Um, so make him do it all as usual. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's good enough at that standpoint that if you shut everything else down, you, you're going to have a good chance to win on Saturday. Kind of going along with that, earlier questions from Ryan Ostrander. Uh, if I said that wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, does Knowles get after Sam, Sam Ellinger heavy, or do we go with a more contained of a spy? And my thought, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, this is one of my keys to the game, actually. I'll tease it a little bit. 
but it's being able to get after Sam Ellinger without having to blitz. I, we know that Jim Knowles loves being able to dial up pressure. He loves sending six, seven, whenever he can. Uh, but if Oklahoma State can get after Sam Ellinger with four or five, then that cuts down on rushing lanes because you have more defenders there that are able to make a play in space. And Oklahoma State is a fantastic team tackling in the open field. And I think that's why you were going to be able to rush four or five all game. He's a good thrower of the football. He's not a great thrower of the football. And you know in a Mike Yersich offense, they're going to push the ball down the field. And if you can – I would rather – see if Sam can beat us with his arm rather than making a bunch of plays in the running game, which is how Texas wins a lot of their games is him being able to make plays outside of structure and being able to get outside the pocket and make plays with his legs. Oklahoma State can cut down on that and keep him in the pocket. I feel a little bit better about our chances at this point. That line, there's a little stat from David Hale of ESPN. Uh, he put it out uh, on the 27th of October. So it's- yesterday or a couple of days, whenever people listen to this, uh, highest sack rate when not blitzing for teams who have played a minimum of three games. Number one on that list is Oklahoma State at 11.8%. When not blitzing. The Blitz King doesn't even have to blitz to get to composing teams' quarterbacks. Exactly. Uh, now look, Texas has a good offensive line, okay? They absolutely do. It is a good offensive line. It's not going to be easy to get to Ellinger. All right. It's just not uh, without blitzing or whatever. But we saw the, the, the uh, and Iowa State has a bad offensive line. It's not very good. That's why they will put pressure on him all day. I don't know what the strategy is here. I don't think you try and put too much pressure on Ellinger because he will burn you for it. I think it's, a, it's more about playing sound defense, knowing that you have faced, sorry, Texas, you have faced better weapons, quarterback aside, in the Big 12 already against Iowa State and West Virginia than what Texas is bringing on the field. Not from an athlete or a, or a talent or a ranking, a ranking standpoint. Statistically. Simply from, yeah. if you want to talk about who are, the, who are the better running backs in the Big 12, are you going to name a guy from Texas? No. You're going to name Brees Hall. You're going to name Letty Brown. I could argue those are, I could argue those are the two best running backs in the Big 12 right now. I could. Now, I would, I, would, I would honestly argue that Chuba is, even though I don't necessarily have the stats from early, the early part of the season to back that up, but Letty Brown has been a stud. Brees Hall is ridiculous. Um, I would argue that uh, Winston Wright Jr., wide receiver of West Virginia, is, one of, is probably playing better than a lot of the wide receivers for Texas right now. So I think for Oklahoma State, it really is this weekend about just like force Sam Ellinger to play so perfectly that there's just nothing that like, you're just like, we played perfect defense and he's beat us. We can't do anything about that. Don't let his, uh, to this point, underperforming um, weapons shine. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that I don't want to say should blitz, but pick your spots, you know, for maybe <laughs> dial it up three or four times during the game where you cover zero and send everyone and like Calvin Bundage put Ellinger on his ass. Like it, that, you know, once or twice during the game will work. But I think Oklahoma State has enough speed on the edge with guys like Trace Ford, Calvin Bundage, 
uh, Brock Martin and others, and enough power. For, I think Brendan Evers has played really well this year to this point. Sione FC, you have enough cloggers in the middle that can push a pocket back and make Ellinger uncomfortable in the pocket throwing. If you can do that, then you take away his legs and you put it all on his shoulder. And when when they have to throw the ball consistently and he can't make plays outside the pocket, they don't win games. You, we, I, I decide I, I need to go back and look at it, but I feel like when he has to throw the ball more than 35, 40 times, maybe more than, more than 30 times even probably, I, I would love to see how many times Texas actually wins the ball I wish I had thought of that uh, before and, you know, actually looked at that. Up, but yeah, I yeah, know. I do too. I wish I'd have gone. If, just, I, if, if for some reason he throws the ball more than 30 times and they lose, then I would, I'll, I'll bring that up on the, the recap. But like I said, be able to dial up pressure without having to blitz. And I think Oklahoma State is going to be able to contain Sam Miller. There you go. We will we're going to take a quick break and we will be back and we'll finish up the Texas preview right after this. All right, Philip. So I think we I, I would like to start putting a little bit more structure behind our, our previews here a little bit based on just our. You don't thoughts. like it when we just bullshitting it. <laughs> See, I don't mind bullshitting. Sorry, you're most children. I, I don't mind bullshitting it, but uh, I would rather our, I bet our listeners don't want to listen to us do that for too much longer. So, what I say we do they is get structure from other shows. Okay, <laughs> we don't Fair we don't need to be like everyone else. So let's each bring a couple of keys to the game on offensive defense and a player to watch for Oklahoma State on each side of the ball. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, cool. I can I can attempt that. Uh, now uh, here's the deal: if we're going to do this, hold on. If we're going to do this, we're going to have we can't just do it. Like we need to, we need to hold ourselves accountable. If we're going to name players of the game ahead of time, then we need to keep track of how they perform afterwards and see if we were right. Because otherwise, it's just. It's like people who make picks, but it's never held against them. Like, if your picks are terrible all the time, you should deserve to get called out for it, right? Yeah. I think that's fair. Like, uh, like Joey Galloway picking Baylor to win the Big 12 three years Joey ago? Galloway. I will still hold that I watched. I watched the first playoff show they did, even though there were no playoff rankings for the, like, month. Because they talked about the Big 12. Joey Galloway should not be allowed to talk about the Big 12 because Joey Galloway doesn't watch the Big 12 or know anything about the Big 12 because when he's talking about Oklahoma State and their quarterback struggles, he doesn't say it like, you know, because they've had to go through multiple guys that had injuries. More like he hasn't actually noticed the fact that Spencer Sanders missed a couple of games with injury because Joey Galloway doesn't know what the hell is going on. Joey Galloway is an idiot who doesn't pay attention to the Big 12. And if you're not going to pay attention to something, you probably shouldn't talk about it. I need to take that advice for myself sometimes, but I think we could all take advice about that every once in a while by having opinions that we verbalize about things we don't actually know. So Joey Galloway can eat a earmuffs, kids, earmuffs. I'm sorry. That's enough because we're going to have to mark this NSFW, and I don't want to do that. Uh, Anyways, uh, Philip, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, We'll alternate back and forth here. What's your first key of the game for Oklahoma State? Um. It's a little less specific and a little more well-rounded. Uh, and, and it's this. At some point, I need to see the offense win a game. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Because I don't want it to come across like I'm saying Oklahoma State needs to blow out an opponent. Oklahoma State needs to, they need to put up 50 points. What, what I mean by that is at this point in the season, you go and think about each game individually. The Oklahoma State offense has 
scored enough points to win all four games. The defense has done the heavy lifting. The defense has ensured that the offense can score enough points to win. The Kansas game, throw it out. You cannot, we have a rule on the 10-12 podcast. We barely talk about the Kansas games and we don't count the Kansas games in talking about teams because Kansas makes everybody's offense and defense look great. So throw the Kansas game out. If you tell us 16 to seven, I know all the offense uh, quarterback issues. West Virginia, 27 to 13. I understand Shane Ellingworth is still working through an offensive line issues. Iowa State, 24 to 21. We talked about this on the recap pod. It's like watching an old SEC Big Ten game. Once Oklahoma State went up 10 points, that was not really a 10-point lead. It was a much bigger lead than 10 points. It wasn't as close as the score indicates. I understand all that. But you're still relying on the defense late into third quarters and fourth quarters to ensure that Oklahoma State wins the game. And I'm fine with close loss, close wins. I don't need – I mean, in my heart would prefer a blowout all of Kansas, but it's more about – we have yet to see a game where the offense won the game and the defense was allowed to take a break. And it's not that I want the defense to take a break, but at some point your defense is going to have an off game. At some point, we saw it against West Virginia a little bit. That sound tackling wasn't quite as sound. Maybe someone was a little bit elusive. Um, I need to see the offense win a game for two reasons. One, you are going to face teams that continue to improve as the season goes on. We're going to get more and more tape. Texas Tech looks like their offense is getting better because they found the right quarterback fit with Columbia for their offense. Oklahoma's offense, Oklahoma's a team is continuing to improve. That offense is only going to get better. You can't expect to hold Oklahoma to, to 13 points or 21 points. You're facing a Texas team this weekend that has scored pretty well. Like I, I understand it's a little overblown because I've had multiple overtime games and a win over UTEP, so they put a lobster points that didn't really that have padded stats. But at some point, I need to see a game where the defense has an off day and the offense goes, it's on us, boys. We got it. We got this one. If you're off today, no worries. We got it. Because it's going to happen. And I need, I would prefer to know that the offense is capable of, the, uh, capable of that before that day comes than have to hope for it when that day comes. So my first key, and I hate saying this because I watch a lot of Kansas City Chiefs football. I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes is the best player on the planet, and I hate when they you? Take the ball. and I hate when they take the ball out of his hands by running the football. But for Oklahoma State, it's getting the running game consistently going. You have a quarterback in Spencer Sanders that can run the ball. And what I liked looking back at the offense and watching that game from uh, for against Iowa State is I remember sitting there watching the game live going and because they were, sh- they were kind of bluffing the zone read, you know, where Sanders would be able to take off, you know, and they were letting Chuba and LD take it for really the first three drives or so. And after that, and I was like, what, why isn't Sanders taking it? I thought he was scared to get hurt again. But really they were just making Iowa State think it, think it, think it. And then once we saw Sanders get going, it opens up the offense and he's able to run the ball I don't want to see Oklahoma State run the ball into the, like try and fit the square peg into the round hole and try and just run and run and run and run and run when it's not there. But the crux of the offense, and Mike Gundy likes to run the ball. And you have a quarterback that can do it effectively. 
it opens up the offense even more and it sucks the defense down and then you can take your shot plays and you have the guys on offense like Braden Johnson, Tyler Wallace that can go run the, down the field and make a play. So that's, that's, I think my biggest key is being able to get that running game going early, getting Shuba going, getting Spencer, getting LD and bring that, to, make Texas think about it a little bit more and then take your shots down the field. Yeah, I would like to see the run game continue to improve. I, I, LD had a bad game against Iowa State. I don't know how much of that was LD, how much of that was just I think they just in Iowa State's defense. I think Iowa State's defense, I think it just the scheme of what Iowa State was running, I just don't think it was conducive to LD's game. And when he was getting the ball, it was a lot of outside zone and kind of the stuff that Chuba excels at. It's, and a lot of L, and all Chuba's runs early in the game was a lot of that kind of the inside duo split zone stuff. Uh, that LD is really good at. So I, I think it just, I think just the matchups weren't quite there for LD. I'm not necessarily concerned about it. Uh, you know, I think we've seen enough from him to know what he's successful at. And I just don't think he was set up for success with uh, the run plays that were called when he was in the game. So my other, my other offensive key to the game is this. We, we came into the season believing this was such a deep and talented wide receiver core. And I'm not saying it's not, but someone else has to step up. Tyler Wallace has 24 receptions. You need to combine the receptions of the next three wide receivers to match that. Braden Johnson has, or Dylan Zoner has 11. Braden Johnson has eight. By, by, Landon Wolf has five or Jelani Woods has five, depending upon which one you want to go with. Jelani Woods has more yards than, than Landon Wolf at this point. Teams are going to keep, put their best guy on Tylan. He can handle it. Teams are going to key on Tylan Wallace. They can handle it. Other, I have yet to see anyone else really step up. And part of that could just be quarterback play. Part of that could be because you've had Shane Ellingworth in for two games. I don't know. That might be it. But Dylan hasn't made the presence that he normally does. I, have you really been like, oh, Dylan Stoner? It, like, I, don't, I don't know that I've really... No, we haven't quite seen him make that, 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 signature, that signature third and seven you know, completion right there. I think we're going to see it. I think we'll see it more. I think we saw him get involved a little bit more. Uh, in that Iowa State game, at least at times, I think we, we started to see what he can do. Uh, I think that little sticks route they ran to him on the second play of the game, that's, that's his money play right there, is that, that just that stick route or that slant right over yeah. the middle. I think we'll see him get involved a little bit more. I think a lot of – and I don't want to say it's inflated. That's not the right word. But Shane throwing the ball to Thailand, that's your money play right there. Uh, sure, 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 sure. And I understand that. Yeah. And so I think that's, I where, I think see... that's what it boils down to. I, I need to see – I need each other guys step up. Um, I need each other guys to be able to make plays when Tylen can't because he can't catch every ball. He's, he's not going to be able to. And, and, and I understand that's his favorite. And that's the money play, and that's – I get all of that. Um, but we've seen when this offense is at its best, you have multiple guys who are making receptions. Yeah. Okay? Yes, James Washington was the go-to, but he wasn't the only guy. Like, yes, Justin Blackman was the go-to, but he wasn't the only guy. Tracy Moore, this, Josh Cooper. But, and the problem for games. this season thus far is, yeah, Tylen Wallace has made some plays. Has anyone else even felt has, – has anyone else stood out as far as a presence? Not or has it felt like Tylen Wallace and a bunch of guys? And that's my whole point, is I need someone else to be like, he's the number two. Like, I need Dylan Stoner. Dylan Stoner needs to play like Dylan – like the Dylan Stoner we all know and love. Okay, the Dylan Stoner who – like three years ago, I wrote an article about the 
the best third down target for Oklahoma State, the most reliable one. Who was it? It's Dylan friggin' Stoner. And that was after his like freshman or sophomore redshirt. And he's only been at Oklahoma State for like what, eight years now? Yeah, we're getting to, I think we're in year 20. <laughs> the point is, I don't, I don't care if it's Stoner or Braden Johnson or Tay Martin or D. Anderson or Landon Wolf or Rashad Owens, whoever it is. I, I, don't, I don't care. But I have not seen someone step up and take the number two role where you go, that's the number two guy. Tylen's covered, throw it to him. And that might be on Spencer. It might be on Ellingworth. It might be on a lot of different things. But it's, it's time to see someone step up there because that's, that's, that's a problem. And that's, that's a concern for the passing game, which has got to really get going if you want to see this offense tick up to what it can be. Yeah, and I think part of getting the passing game going, is, this gets into my second key, is being able to continue to mix up the looks with the Cowboy backs like we saw against Iowa State. I loved seeing that. I didn't notice that near as much in-game as I should have. But being able to mix up them being a fullback type, having them in line, on the offensive line, chip and then run around, splitting them out way wide with wide receivers and creating matchup problems. Like Jelani Woods at six foot seven and about 270 is a matchup nightmare on a slot corner. I want to see more of that. Logan Carter is very, very underrated and very good at what he does. And while I think he's more of a blocking tight end than a receiving one, just like Jelani Woods, I think, they're still very good catching the ball in space and just kind of doing the Jason Witten of just catch the ball at eight yards and fall down. Like that, that is all we need from the, the, uh, the Cowboy backs. But I think being able to mix up those looks, it creates mismatches on defense and it makes the defense think a little bit more about those guys as wide receivers. You don't need them as that extra blocker because your offensive line is playing well right now. Now, if things change and Texas is able to get a ton of pressure, you can move them in and it'll be just fine. We still run 12 personnel and see where things go. But if, they're, but if the offensive line is still able to keep Spencer in clean pockets, move those Cowboy backs around and see what matchups you can create because it's just an, another added weapon for a quarterback that as much as we love Tylen Wallace, he needs to throw the ball to other guys, just like you mentioned. And that just adds in two more weapons with, you know, a stable of other guys. Yeah. All right. So who is your player to watch in this game? Mm. I'm going to say, you know, we, we just mentioned he had a kind of down game last week and I don't know if it was how he was used or, just the defense he was going to get up against or his skill set. And I, I'm going to say, because Chuba had a rough game against Texas last year, I'm going to say L.D. Brown bat, br- bounces back. <laughs> L.D. Brown bounces back. Chuba's going to get more carries. He'll have more yards. But I think L.D. Brown bounces back and gives Oklahoma State a real one-two punch in the ground game against Texas on Saturday. I think that's a big thing for them. Um, look, this, this offense is going to be remain a little bit conservative as long as it's allowed to. And again, we talked about this with the game on Saturday. That 10-point lead was not a 10-point lead. We're not used to, oh, with Big 12 teams, a 10-point lead being safe. That was a safe 10-point lead. I know Iowa State scored a touchdown late. I know it was just like, uh, and I felt that way too. And as I've had more time to look back on it, the more I realize that was a very safe 10-point lead. It really was. It really was um, because of the way this defense is playing. I think L.D. Brown has a bounce-back game. 
Uh, I think they use him. And he will. He will have a nice game on Saturday. Nothing that's like, oh my gosh, what, LD Brown. More just a he's going to be a real left to Chuba's right hook, and uh, and, it, and he's going to play a lot better on Saturday. Yeah. So my player to watch is Braden Johnson, and I thought about this when I was watching the Chiefs game on uh, on Sunday against the Broncos, and. I'm, I'm going to bring this up because I think these two players are pretty comparable to a certain extent. Uh, McCall mm-hmm. Hardman, who's a wide receiver for the Chiefs, uh, is out of Georgia. Legit 4-3 speed. And, you know, he, but the thing is he's not a very polished receiver. He's a very limited route tree. It's a go ball or a post or the occasional, you know, just quick route to get him the ball. And But the Chiefs are able to use him pretty effectively by getting him the ball on a jet sweep or a little orbit motion, getting letting him use his four, legit four three speed out in space. Braden Johnson is that guy for Oklahoma State. He is the fastest receiver on the team. He and I think Oklahoma State needs to find ways to get him the ball in space. He runs a go ball and he runs a post. He runs the occasional out route, but his route uh, he's not a very good route technician. He doesn't break down very well. I would rather see them try and get him the ball on the jet sweep, get him the ball on a little RPO, a little bubble screen, something to where he can make a play using his legs in open space and make a guy miss and see what happens. That's what I want to see from this team right now. So this has nothing to do with this season whatsoever. It's more to do with down the line. And have we – we all kind of thought Braden Johnson might be that next guy who would take a big step and take a step up. And I'm not sure he really has. And I'll be honest, I like Braden Johnson. I really do. I'm not sure he's going to. Um, I'm he really feels- hoping there's a guy on this roster who's the next guy because the the quota I always go to is we were at they told me today's last ahead of last season. And somebody had asked about when they knew Tylen Wallace was going to be this guy. And Gunny talked about how, you know, that they had James Washington, but they'd put Tylen Wallace on the field in a couple of plays. You know, they'd give him some targets a few times each game. And he would always find a way to make a play to make the coaches go, oh, wow. They don't have that. Right? They haven't had a guy step up and do that yet. Um, not Braden Johnson. You know, Jonathan Shepard really hasn't, hasn't played much. Um, haven't really seen Brandon Presley yet. No, I haven't had to be able to see him yet. Um, I mean, they've got Rashad Owens has got a couple of catches. I'm just, I'm curious if there's a guy currently on the roster or if one of the guys that they were coming in in this 2021 class. And I, and I like the the green twins. They're, they're coming in that class. I do. Um, I'm just curious if there's guys who will step up and, and be that for them. It's probably me worrying about stuff that doesn't, they'll figure something out. Like they will. It's just a, it's just one of the thoughts of, I, I was really hoping this year we would see, the guy to come in after Thailand and, and take that spot of what we've had. Cause there was a there, thing about it. There was a dip really between Blackman and Washington, you know, yeah. it's almost kind of, we almost kind of got lucky to have Washington and then go into Thailand and not have a drop off there as far as a, a wide receiver goes. So it, it, it would make a lot of, it's probably asking too much to assume that there's another one of those guys just waiting in the wings, the way Oklahoma state recruits. And it's not a shout out recruiting so much as like, there's not five stars showing up. There's not, we're not Alabama here. You're not going to have two guys leave for the NFL and the next two guys up or two NFL guys. Like you gotta, you gotta find that guy. Um, they will. 
I'm just I'm curious if he's on the roster now and will be here next season, or if we're we're going to go through a, a year or two, kind of like we did between Blackman and, and Washington, a few years where he had guys, but not one of those guys. Yeah, I think that um, you know Braden Johnson, like I compared him to McCall Hardman. I think kind of like McCall Hardman does for the Chiefs, like he'll affect three or four games a year at the big play and be a difference maker in three or four games. I think Braden Johnson's a similar type player where he's going to pop in like two or three games and we're going to go, Oh wow. Like he's, you know, he's starting to get, but then he, then we'll see a dip. And then another game where he kind of pops. We saw that last year. He made that uh, screenplay touchdown against Iowa state, made a couple big catches against TCU. But really other than that, he's just kind of a, another guy and he's a good receiver, but I don't think we're going to see that kind of that pop that you were talking about, like that next guy, I just don't think we've seen him yet. Now, will we see that guy later in the season? Maybe. But to this point, it's Tylen and everybody else. But like I said, I think Braden Johnson's due for – he's due for a home run ball in a big game. Uh, he got the one against Kansas, whatever. We've talked about how we feel about Kansas games at nauseam on here. But I think he, he's due in a big game to make a big play, and I hope they find ways to utilize his athleticism and his speed in open space and not just him running go ball after go ball after go ball. Yeah. All right, enough, enough of my random tangents. Uh, All right, let, let's, let's go. On. Let's shift to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, what are a couple? What is your first key to the game here? Man, um, I, mean, I kind of touched on it before, which is just force Ellinger to do it all. Really force him to do everything. His his weapons have been okay this season. You're gonna say, well, this guy's put up this stat, and this guy's put up this stat, and I'd say. Well, yeah, everyone's going to have guys that put up stats, especially at, at Texas. Like, you're going to have talented guys. Don't let those guys beat you. If Sam Ellinger has the greatest game of his career and just flat out balls out and you just play good defense and can't stop him, then, well, crap. But don't let it be because all their guys who are good but eh, – Beat you. There's. I don't. I don't think there's anyone as good as Duvernay was for them last season. Um, I think they still. I mean, Salinger's their leading rusher. The next guy up, Keontae Ingram has 51 carries for 245 yards. It's not bad. Salinger's got 65 carries for 293. Like it, Ingram's averaging 4.8 yards carry. Uh, Roshan Johnson's got 33 carries, 143 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. Like we can go through this all day. Um, but I don't. There's not a running back here that I think that that is better than two of the guys you've already faced. And look, Letty Brown had a nice day, and Brees Hall had two monster runs that made his day look really good. Just just keep that down here. Uh, let me let me. I was doing some stats today, doing some stats because I had a question. I, I my question was you know big plays. And for me, big plays is stat, plays of 30 yards or more. Um, fun fact, and we can talk about this another time, uh, the other teams in the Big 12 and how bad some of them really are uh, with, with that. For Oklahoma State, uh, went through and tracked them on and had a buddy of mine kind of double-check for me. Oklahoma State's given up five plays of 30 or more yards so far this season. Five. Six, if you count garbage time, and I don't count garbage time, and that garbage time one was against Kansas. So you had one against Tulsa. Um, it led to their touchdown. They had two against West Virginia. Uh, one ended – one was in a drive that had the, the fumble return for a touchdown from Tyron Irby. Uh, the other one led to 
a touchdown. Um, and they had two against Iowa State. <clears throat> One that ended with a missed field goal, which is, again, why I still think that tackle, when they chased Brees Hall down uh, and, and held him out of the end zone, was a huge play. And then, of course, the other one was Brees Hall's big touchdown run. If you take those and realize that the points scored on those, four have led to touchdowns, three – one of those is garbage, so three have led to touchdowns, one had a force like that's 21 points. Teams have scored 48 points in Oklahoma State. Just don't let – just don't let guys do that. Like, try it. If you cannot give up the big plays here, you're going you're gonna to shut Texas down. Like, honestly, because there's, there's not guys on here like – there's not a, a, a Letty Brown. There's not a, a Brees Hall. And if I think if you can really keep that big play, that 30-plus yard play down, teams just aren't sustaining a lot of long drives in Oklahoma State. There's a few of them, but there's not a ton of them. And if you really want to get down into this, here's the fun stat. Um, if you take points scored at, off of a turnover – uh, and points scored off of a drive that included a 30-yard play or more, um, that's, that has led to 38 of the 48 points scored against Oklahoma State. So you want to know how to keep Texas from scoring a lot of points on Saturday? Try not to turn the ball over and really try and keep them from getting the big play. You do that, uh, Tex, I, I don't care how good Sam Ellinger plays. Like, you're, you can be all right. I mentioned it in the uh, the mailbag. I think the biggest thing for Oklahoma State is going to be able to get to Sam without having to blitz. If you can rush four or five and get after him, then you're in good shape and dial up pressure every once in a while, but don't don't rely on it. Because if you send seven and he gets out of it, it's, a, it's that big chunk play, it's that explosive play that we just talked about, uh, being able to limit. Oklahoma State's a great open field tackling team so they're a, so being able to get after Sam Ellinger by, with four or five, and sure if he gets if he breaks contain and gets into the open field, you have enough guys in the linebacking core and safeties that are able to make a tackle one on one. And he's a tough guy to bring down. But I feel pretty good about having Malcolm Rodriguez and then a Mark Amiga, Colby Harvell, Peel, Trey Sterling in open space, being able to make a tackle on a guy like Sam Ellinger. That's going to be the biggest difference for me in the game, being able to keep him in the pocket. I would rather see if he see if he can beat you with his arm. I don't think he'll be able to do it. I think if he if he's able to break off a few big runs and get a couple of rushing touchdowns, I'm going to be really nervous. But if you're a, if you're going to force him to throw the ball all game long and you take away his ability to run, Oklahoma State's going to be able to run away with this thing. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what do we do? A uh, defensive player to watch? Yes. Do you have any other keys to the game? I think we kind of hit. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know a good because um, I'm trying. I, I want to avoid doing that cliche like win the turnover battle and stuff. Like that. I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I haven't. I mean, I, I think if, both, if there's I, one guy you have to, to really keep an eye on for for Texas, it's Keontae Ingram. Yes, he is. He's got. Outside, he is the second leading rusher outside of Ellinger. So he's the, the, the leading rusher as far as the backs go. Um, he's also got 11 catches for 103 yards at a touchdown. So he is a multi-used weapon. Um, so I, I think you keep him in check. He is, he is to me, uh, from a passing standpoint, it's Josh Moore. Um, he's pretty good. Um, but to me, Keontae Ingram's the guy where if you, if you can shut him down, 
think you'd be all right. I just I don't. It's so weird coming into this game because I was just like all week I kept telling myself this is going to be the best quarterback and the best offense the Oklahoma State defense has played to this point. And I know we differ on how we feel about about pro football focus college stats. And I don't, and I get yeah, it. I, I completely agree. They have stats that that contradict each other left, right, and sideways. But they put out their recent rankings of quarterbacks, Big Twelve quarterbacks, and Daggy was ranked like second and or third. Daggy was ranked ahead of Ellinger. And so I got to thinking, like, why would that be? Well, um, you look at, at Daggy's weapons, as we we've mentioned, Lady Brown, Winston Wright Jr. I, I like them better than. I mean, I think they've been better than most of the guys at Texas. So Ellinger's had to be everything for this offense that's put up all these points. But then you actually go look at Texas' offense and all the points and yards they put up that a lot of that came against UTEP or an overtime game against Texas Tech or a four-overtime game against Oklahoma. And I just look at this team and I go, it's it's not as bad defensively as people think it is. Um, we talked about that whole, like, giving up plays of 30 yards or more. Texas is actually the best in the Big 12 at only having four this season. Oklahoma State's got, got five. They're tied with Texas tied with Baylor at four. Non-garbage time stats. So their defense is better than people want to give them credit for. Um, Osai is going to play. No, Not sure about um, Caden Stearns. Not sure if he's going to play or not. Um, so it's it, – it's, I look at this game and just go – I think this is still a good offense. I think it's still the best quarterback that Oklahoma State will have played up to this point. Um, so this is, to me, the biggest test that Oklahoma State will have had, and I understand Iowa State. Um, so I just, I, I'm, I just think you just want to see the defense continue to play the way it has. And I think if they do, then they'll, they'll, they'll play great. It's just consistency. We've, it's been consistent at this point. And I'm probably just a pessimistic Oklahoma State fan who's not used to a defense like this. I just keeps waiting for the, like, drop-off. I just keep waiting for the, like, just kidding. All those teams you face actually suck, and Texas is good, and Oklahoma's good, and Kansas State's good, and you're going to, you know, give up 40 to all of them. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I'm just – I'm I, – I think I'm – I'm one game away from being like, uh, like I am sold on Oklahoma State's defense, but I'm one game against Texas away from being like, no, 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 no. Shut up. They're awesome. You shut your damn mouth. Like I, I need this game to get to that point. Yes. Uh, do you have a, like an Oklahoma State defensive player to kind of to watch like we did for the – Um. Hmm. I think it's kind of a question of like who's going to be the guy who has whose job is don't let Ellinger run, um, and I can't decide if to be a linebacker or a safety. And I think I'm going to go with I think I'm going to go with Sterling. I know he had a great game against Iowa State. Um, it's not always great to pick a guy who just had a great performance because oftentimes that's never it doesn't happen that way. It's not quite repeatable. I should pick somebody different, but I think Sterling has been just ridiculously good, very reliable. I think he's been fantastic, and I'm really interested to see how he does in this game. I think he's going to have another good game. Um, I, I I do, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye on him. My player to watch, and I actually said sucks a little quite sure, it's going to be Calvin Bundage because I think that's the dude on third down. That I think Oklahoma State's going to bring out their speed guys 
and try and get to Ellinger quick before the offensive, their tackles can get set with Trace Ford and Calvin Bundage. Joe you know Calvin Bundage has already set a career high in sacks this season through four games. Good grief. Yeah, his he had when he was a sophomore in 2017, he had three. He already has three and a half this season. Eleven or four and a half of his eleven tackles have been for loss. I think he's really found a role as a third down, just go and wreak havoc with your speed and athleticism. And I think it's worked because they when you have and it's a luxury when you have guys like Malcolm Rodriguez and Amen Agbongomiga and Devin Harper that you can play as like a true linebacker then you can put a guy like Bundage on the field on third down, just let him go and do his thing, just cut him loose. I think Jim Knowles has really found a role for him in that. So I, I think he's going to impact the game with at least one or two sacks. I think, I think he's going he's to find a way to make a play. And I would imagine on third down, that's your dude when it's an obvious passing down and, and things break down. If Ellinger leaves the pocket, that's the dude that's going to be following. I think he's going to be on the field a lot more. I bet he plays a pretty good percentage of the snaps, a bigger percentage of the snaps than he's probably played uh, in the last four games. And I think he makes the biggest impact and reminds everybody, oh, well, he's still pretty damn good. I think, I think people kind of like as cool as it was to watch the defense kind of grow last year without him, when you think about being able to add him back into the fold this year, it, it makes the defense a lot more fun. And when he's making plays and playing with the swagger that he does and after he makes a big tackle – I think that that's the kind of infectious stuff that's going to make the defense play really well on Saturday. So the thing I'm really curious if it's going to have any impact on this game on Saturday at all or not is the fact that Texas's football is currently just like on fire. So as I mentioned, the story for Texas, number one ranked player in the 2022 class, quarterback Quinn Ewers had it committed to Texas. Um, They lost another quarterback commit because of it. And now Quinn Ewers has reopened his, his, his recruiting. And the consensus feeling is like, <laughs> the rumors is all like, <laughs> he's going to be at Ohio State with Ryan Day. And Texas world is burning. Like, it is on fire. I'm seeing people who have always been like, it's not the time, it's not a good idea. And they're all like, it's time to move on from Tom Herman. Like, it's one thing when you're losing, but you can keep promising we're developing. It's another thing when you suddenly are losing out on your best recruits and things that are so great. Um, I'm curious if this will have any impact on Saturday. And I'm really starting to wonder, despite his buyout, it is, it's not cheap. I mean, I'm fine with Texas wants to keep Tom Herman for a little while longer. It's, it's you know, I, I know he beat Oklahoma State last season, and that is, that is fair. They did. Texas did beat Oklahoma State. Texas has been back for like, what, four years now? Ever since they beat Notre Dame. Um, Texas has been back. That's when all this started. I just – like, I wonder how this is going to affect Saturday. I really do. The other question I have on Saturday is, um, like, Mike Gersich knows OSU inside and out. Yep. Like, it's one thing to study a team. It's another thing to literally know them inside and out. I think that gives Texas an edge on OSU that they don't have on other programs and that other programs don't have on Oklahoma State. And it worries me a little bit about Saturday. It does. It worries me a little bit about Saturday. Um, you can be like, well, da 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 Mike right. Yersich knows know, Gundy. Yeah, you know, I, I think I want to see – and we, we talked about this. Like, I don't want to watch another 20, 23, 17, like, SEC-like game. 
I want to watch like an offensive shootout where Texas, I mean, our defense is going to, I think our defense still makes enough plays to win, but Texas's offense looks damn good. And all the people that absolutely hated Mike Yersich at Oklahoma State, everyone goes, oh, uh, maybe he wasn't the problem. It, it would give me just a little I, – I would grin just a little bit looking at Oklahoma State Twitter scenes, stuff like that. No, I, I'd, I'm, I would rather see a 28-24 win than – So you'd rather watch one big 10 shredded. <laughs> Fair enough. Then see, def- see the defense that we all think is re- – that, that we all believe is really good, that is really good, get shredded – yeah, I don't want to watch that. I don't nah. want to see the defense get. I, either I don't way, need, I'm, I'm, because here's the problem with that: the narrative the, that uh, will be held against OSU. The narrative from it will be like, "Oh, they're not really that good," and it'll be like, "We're already dealing with like, oh, Iowa State actually sucks, so that O N doesn't really mean anything for OSU." So I don't. Need people are going to keep no matter no matter what Oklahoma State does, people are going to keep moving the goalposts because they don't want to believe they're actually. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. The, the goalposts people, moving is absurd right now. Like I think people, most people are starting to give OSU credit. Um, they're still holding the Tulsa win, which is ridiculous. Against them. I know. Just add, just root for Tulsa. Root, the, yeah. root, the, root for Tulsa all day. How wild is it that this that Oklahoma State has won seven of the last ten in this series? Yeah, and that the overall crazy. record is now just twenty-five and nine. Yeah, that means it was twenty-two and two for a while. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah. So, do you have a, a prediction for this game? I know you don't like doing score predictions, but do you? What are you? What are you thinking for this game after everything we've And I, I think the offense still does starts doing a little bit more. Um, I don't. I think this Texas defense is better than it seems. Um, uh, I don't think Oklahoma State's offense is still churning quite yet. I think it's a close game. I believe OSU wins. The only hesitation I have is, you know, we, we've been saying for a while, Oklahoma State drops a game they're not supposed to every year, right? Right. And, and it's pretty much been the rule since 2013. There are exceptions to the rule. 2015, they won a lot of games. They, um, they shouldn't have, frankly. Um, but since 2013, and you can so 2014, they were just bad. 2018, they lost all these games. You've lost Texas Tech two years in a row. You had the Kansas State lost. They lose a game they shouldn't pretty much every year since 2013. And usually we reserve that for a, a bad Kansas State or Texas Tech or uh, a, 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 something along that lines, right? That's typically the kind of game. But Oklahoma State has led this Texas series 7-3. to three. You've got a three and two Texas team that is kind of not good. They just lost this quarterback commit for 2022. That is like how Herman had basically got everyone on board with him sticking around for a long period of time. Like this feels like you win on Saturday. Not only do you knock Texas out of the big 12 title race, you do, they're done. Like, you might put the nail in Tom Herman's coffin as far as the head coach of the University of Texas. Like, think about that for a second. That could potentially happen on Saturday because they're out of the Big title race. That third conference loss, I understand they have Kansas State. I understand they have Iowa State, but I think they're out of it. I think they're done. Um, I I don't – I don't – but they won't beat both Kansas State and Iowa State. I think they lose to Iowa State. They beat Kansas State. Point is – there's a lot writing on this game. And I think most people are like, and I understand ESPN's like FPI or whatever their stupid metric has. Texas is like 
a slight favorite. I mean, it's like 51.8 to 48.1 or some nonsense. This would, by our standards, be a game we would circle and go, this is a game Oklahoma State shouldn't lose. And then they go and lose, right? That's my hesitation here. So my point of all that, saying all that, is this. I think Texas is going to put up the most points anyone's put on OSU's defense thus far. Oh, yeah, fair. I need OSU's def- offense to score, to, 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 to be the thing that wins this game. I think it's a close game. I think we look at something around – Uh, 34 30 kind of game, which is a weird score. I understand. I don't know. I don't know how you get to 34 30, but it feels like this is going to be a closer game than people want to to think it's going to be. Um, I think Ellinger is that, is that good? Like Brock Purdy, they scored 21, and Brock Purdy has been terrible this year. Okay. Like, stop and think about that for a second. Oklahoma State put up, was only able to put up 24. Is Texas's defense worse than Iowa State's? Yes. Do I think their offense is better than, than Iowa State's? Yes. So I will take some sort of like 35, 30, 34, 30, four, five point win by Oklahoma State on Saturday. I, I feel overly confident in this as a win, which is what's weird. And again, I think I'm just an OSU pessimist at this point, and I'm, I'm just old and grumpy, and I, I'm, I'm too excited for the potential of what this season can be. Can I go back to an eight and four year so I'm not just like – Every game is like live or die. 100%. Um, <laughs> no, I, I feel that. I feel that. But this is one of those things. Like, I, this is a game. You're right. Like, Oklahoma State is a – they're the Vegas favorite. They're the number six team in the country. Texas is coming in. This is a game – and Texas is reeling. Tom Herman's seat has gasoline around it right now with a match oh, lit ready to go. It is. This and, is a – this is like light the witch on fire, Salem witch trial kind of like hot yeah, stuff. It, yeah, Absolutely. So you're right. It has all of the elements to Oklahoma State's going to find a way to shit the bed and lose the game. But I don't know what it is, but I mean, I think part of it is just maybe the trend in the last decade. Oklahoma State has Texas's number. And even last year when Oklahoma State lost to Texas, it was still a close game at the end. They Oklahoma State had a shot to at least tie it. Um, and it, it was a game that Oklahoma yeah. State didn't necessarily, yeah. and it was a game that Oklahoma State didn't necessarily play that well. Like Chuba had probably his worst game of the year. Spencer made, made a few turnovers, but Spencer also made some ridiculous plays to keep Oklahoma State in the game. He had three, didn't he? Didn't he have like? I know he had a. I know he had two bad interceptions, but I think that. But I, I can't quite remember. I, I'm not going to go back. He he was. That was the beginning of the fumble prone stuff. Yes, well. yes, that's it. Oh, and they had that god awful fake field goal. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Oh, it was so, and it was so obvious. It was uh-huh, coming. Uh-huh. There yeah. was the. Was that the game with the fourth down attempt that wasn't good either? No, yeah, that was I believe. A fake field goal attempt. It was. Yes, yes. Um, Any, anyways, that that all that aside, Oklahoma State still played well. Like played well enough to win a ball game at Texas. Oklahoma State has Texas's number. Now, I think I think Mike Gundy has these guys ready to go against Texas every single year. And the fact that you have Tom Herman's seat on like close to on fire at this point, you have a Texas team that hasn't been able to quite figure it out. Oklahoma State's going to win this ball game. I, I think this is this is going to be the game that proves that Oklahoma State is a legit. They're legit. I think the offense is starting. We saw some things last week. The offense is starting to click. The defense is going to make enough plays. I think Texas is going to put up points. I think we're going to see Oklahoma State's defense look vulnerable for the first time this season. But I don't think it's going to be a detriment and cause Oklahoma State to lose a game. Fun, fun recap of last year. 
Uh, OSU led this game 3 nothing early. Um, Texas went up 14-3. Uh, OSU was down one point at half, went up 23-21 early in the second half, like right out of the gate. Uh, yeah, he Ellinger, Sanders had two interceptions. Um, Ellinger had one. Um, OSU had a couple. It just – yeah, because they um, – yeah, like they 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 had put it thirty. They made it thirty six. Like Texas just pulled away in the second half because OSU just didn't play well. OSU scored had interceptions. Like it just like it was a sloppy game. It was a closer game than I think. I don't. It's weird. Like going back and like, like it was a thirty six thirty game. Like it was one of those like the late score exactly. made it closer than it was, but the game actually was close until late in the game. Once it was thirty six twenty three, it was it was kind of like eh. And then OSU got a score, got it within six. They had no shot of. It's kind of like the Iowa State game last week. That's honestly the truth. Texas pulled away, yeah. had a comfortable score. OSU made the final score look closer than it really was. But that game was close. It was very. This that's a perfect example. This game, from a not defensive standpoint, but like it reminds me of the Iowa State game from last week, where it was a scarily close game until Texas got enough of a lead that the game was over, and that for them was a thirteen point lead. Um, 36-23 in the like early in the fourth quarter. And that was it for the game. It's kind of similar to the last week's game. So it was a close game. All of this is to say this. Texas is by no means like just better than OSU. They're just not. They're they're not they're not, period. I don't care what recruiting rankings say. They're not just like significantly better than OSU. Should OSU win this game on Saturday because of the way their defense is playing? Absolutely. Is my concern with this team and the reason I keep saying I need the offense to win a game because I need the offense to show that they can put up more than 24 points against a good defense? Yeah, because I think Texas will put up the most points anyone's put up on Oklahoma State's defense thus far this season. I, I, I think it is. And I think this is your game where you need to see OSU can do that to feel any shot at beating Oklahoma in a few weeks. Um, I also don't think you can drop this game. Like, yeah, forget the playoff. I don't, even give, I don't give a crap about the playoff. I don't. Forget the playoff. We're not doing playoff talk. If OSU wants to win the Big 12, they can't lose this game. They can't. If they lose this game, they will not be in Arlington on, at the end of the season. Just going to put it out there. They have to win this game if they're going to go to Arlington. Yeah. All, all, of, all of this, I, I saw you, you cut me off where I could do my prediction. But oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, I'm taking Oklahoma State 34-28 in this game. Uh, I think the offense is. I think the offense is going to start to show enough uh, defensively. Like you said, I, I like I said before. I think Oklahoma State is going to look vulnerable at times on defense. I think the Texas offense is good enough. Sam Ellinger is a talented player, and he's going to make some plays. But I don't think. But it's not going to cause Oklahoma State to lose the game. I still think they're going to find a way to get a turnover, get a big couple big stops in a row, and let the offense do their thing. I think we're going to see the offense probably play its best game of the year. Like I said, Oklahoma State gets up for Texas. Even like I said, even though they didn't play that great last year. Uh, in a close game, they still found a way to play up and f- keep themselves in a game. They find a way to get up for Texas. I think, I think it's probably because a lot of these guys are from Texas and probably didn't get recruited by Texas. There's, there is, there's a little bit of that in there. I think these, when you see like players oh, yeah. that like, I remember like Trey Sterling, uh, whenever he does, he does like those Q and a things. He's great talking to fans on social media. It's really cool. But they, people always ask his favorite team to play every year. And besides OU, he always says Texas. And for, I think for a lot of these guys, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, no, like, 
Oh, this is the second. Texas is the second most important game to player schedule every year after Oklahoma. Just is period because of the number of players from the state of Texas who want to beat Texas. Um, it's a big game. I, I think we're gonna. I think you should buckle up for another close game. Look, uh, nothing would make my heart happier than some like twenty-one to or twenty-four to seven halftime lead that OSU just runs away with it. It would be the best thing ever. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Um, I think you just, I think you just buckle in for a close game and understand that if the defense is is dealing the way it did against Iowa State, a two score lead is going to be insurmountable. If the Dex, if the defense for Oklahoma State is playing like it did last week against Iowa State, you and I texted about this as to why once they went up ten, I said it was over. This is if the defense is playing that well. If Oklahoma State can go up two scores in a game, especially in the second half, that game is done. It is. It's done. So before we get out of here, we got to do our favorite thing to do, even if we're wrong all the time. What do you got for a uniform prediction this week? It's a spooky season uh, spooky. game on Halloween. It's, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's a game on Halloween. Uh, give me, give me black helmet with uh, Phantom Pete, which I know people don't. Some people don't like Phantom Pete. I love Phantom Pete. I do. Uh, give me a Phantom Pete. Black helmet. <sighs> what did they do last week? Was it black, gray, black last week? Was was black, that what which I thought looked really good. I like that. It was, it was sharp. Uh, but you need orange. I'll go black, black, orange, Phantom Pete helmet. I'm going to go black, orange, black. Give me the chrome brand. Matt helmet, chrome brand. Hmm. You're going to have orange. It's Halloween. You're going to have black yeah. and orange. Just, you, no, no, no. Actually, I'm going to change. Because it's Halloween, I think they're going to pull out the bandana paisley helmet. I think we're going to uh, see the brand, but I think it's going to be the paisley helmet. Uh, Not my orange. favorite, but one, once a year, I'm cool with it. Once, twice a year, I'm cool with it. I think Phantom they overdid Pete it. should always be worn on Halloween. I, I enjoy rule. The thing is, they did it last week, though. I don't think they're going to pull out the same helmet two weeks in a row. I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right man you got any final thoughts before we get out of here no i i've i've been like gathering up thoughts for a while and that's my brain dump and i that's all i got that's all i got all right well we will talk to you all uh after the texas game either saturday night or sunday we'll have it up and hopefully we got a cowboy win against the longhorns once again philip working everyone follow you on twitter Following personally at OKTXARPOKE. And of course, follow my show, the 1012 TEN number 12, the word podcast. Uh, we've got picks every Thursday, weekend recaps every Monday. And I appreciate a follow. All right, follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. Like I said, we'll be back. It'll either be up probably Saturday night or most likely Sunday. Uh, we'll have a full recap of the Texas game. And we will talk to you all then. Take care, everyone.